Good evening and welcome. Tonight we have a collection of stories from authors in the No Sleep Reddit community, with links to their pages down below. We are also joined today by Horror on the Rocks, so if you enjoy his stories then consider heading over to his channel for more. With that said, let's begin. It's been over a month since Jay was murdered. His mother found him with a broken neck at the bottom of their staircase. Jay's head had also been caved in by an unknown blunt object. I've been hiding ever since. After all, I'm now the primary suspect in Jay's death, even though I had nothing to do with it. Not that anyone would believe me. All I can do is wait. After graduating from law school, my friends and I decided to have one last hurrah. Jay was going to work for his family's farm after passing the bar. Eric received a clerkship for a federal judge. Mike got an offer from a corporate bigwig to be his in-house counsel. I was disgusted at the thought of practicing law and was going to join a think tank after our vacation. We decided on Bangkok. It was a cheap but exotic destination. The food was great and, well, you know, you have some discreet fun. Jay's parents were so excited that he graduated and rented us an entire house in the southern district. The trip was underwhelming from the start. The locals in our neighbourhood were suspicious of us and eschewed any attempt at interaction with us. It didn't help that we were drunk most of the time and raised hell along into the night. A police officer came to our rental after Mike threw a chair from the third floor and Eric had to pay a bribe to get him to leave. Pretty soon we burned ourselves out and became bored and grumpy. Then Jay met Bandit. Bandit, we called him Bandy was a local high school student who couldn't have been older than 18. Bandy was tiny, even by Thai standards, and had cropped black hair and a spindly, prepubescent moustache. He was also comically bow-legged and would hop around when he got excited. Bandy spoke perfect English and soon became our liaison for debauchery. He bought liquor, weed and girls to our house any time we asked. He also refused any sort of payment. Hanging with his American pals was enough. When Bandy came to our house, he always entered the backyard to avoid detection. He would tap on the door four times and whistle like a character from the Looney Tunes. Bandy loved anything America and was more zealous patriot than his American friends. He grew up on propaganda action movies like Rocky V and Lethal Weapon. Bandy learned English by watching those films and wanted to move to the US for college. Then he would marry an American girl and live out the rest of his days in peace and liberty. Mike joked that we could smuggle Bandy in our suitcases. We loved him that much. On our last night, we threw one final American-themed rager to show our appreciation for Bandy. This time we handled logistics and told Bandy he should come empty-handed. We waited in anticipation of his arrival. Then we heard the sign, four knocks and a whistle. Bandy's eyes widened once he saw what we had planned for him. USA, motherfuckers, he joyfully screamed and shotgunned a beer with Mike. I don't remember much from the party. I must have passed out in my room before midnight, but I was frantically awakened by Eric. Dude, wake up. Brandy fell down the stairs. We raced towards the stairs and saw Bandy's body crumpled at the bottom. Jay was shuffling the girls we brought out the door. Mike was pacing back and forth like a maniac. I ran down to check on Bandy. He was still breathing, but his neck and head were contorted in a way that wasn't natural. His eyes darted around in panic, slowly coming to the realisation that he was paralysed. Well, don't just stand there, I yelled. Call an ambulance. J 
Jay, come back into the living room. Are you stupid? Adam, there's coke and weed everywhere. What are the police going to say? Eric shook his head. Fuck that. We need to get him some help now. I'm going to call an amp. Before Eric could finish his sentence, Mike came in with a hammer and bashed Bandy's head. We all froze in shock. Mike, twitching from all the cocaine, took another deep breath before bringing the hammer down on Bandy again. A sickening moment of silence followed before Eric and I started screaming. What the fuck, Mike? I yelled. What the fuck did you just do? What was I supposed to do? Mike slurred back at me. Dude was a goner. All I did was end his suffering. He then nudged Bandy's now corpse with his shoe. Eric, Jay and I all shouted at Mike and then argued about what to do next. Spare me your false righteousness, Mike sneered. We all have futures to get back to. I will not jeopardise mine. Jay sidestepped Brandy's body and walked up the stairs. He came back down with a bedsheet and threw it over Bandy. Like clockwork, we worked together in silence to get rid of the body. We wrapped Bandy tightly in the bedsheet and carried him out the back door. Eric and I drove to the pier, stuffed some rocks into Bandy's pockets and threw him into the river. His tiny body hardly made a splash. We quietly left Thailand the following day. Mike stared out the plane's window the whole time, finally realising the gravity of his actions. We touched down in the country we called home, and the place Bandy never got to visit. Mike was the first to speak before we went our separate ways. We did what he had to do, I guess. Mike would also be the first to die. They found him almost two months after he returned from Thailand. Mike fell down the stairs, breaking his neck in three places. Police also discovered two wounds causing by blunt force trauma on his head. One of them was post-mortem. Mike's father said we were the last to see him alive. Mike's dad claimed to have only talked to Mike on the phone and commented that his behaviour seemed strange. Mike complained that he wasn't getting enough sleep and would hear odd noises at night. The night before he died, Mike made three phone calls to 911, but they were all disconnected. I skipped his funeral. Eric called me asking why I wasn't there. I told Eric that what happened to Mike was the literal definition of karma, and I no longer consider any of us friends. Eric seemed hurt by my words, but couldn't disagree. It was best to move on from everything, no matter how difficult it could be. Before he hung up, Eric asked if I had trouble sleeping recently. I keep having these nightmares, mostly about Bandy. It's strange. Remember how we made him do a secret knock and then whistle before he walked into the house? I swear I hear it all the time. I responded that I didn't think I could remember any of those dreams since we returned from Thailand. Eric sighed but wished me the best before disconnecting the call. Eric's wife Jessica found him at the bottom of their living room staircase a month later. His neck was twisted by the fall and someone finished him off with a blunt object. Jessica also said he had been acting erratically since Mike's death. Eric wasn't sleeping and he confided in her that he felt they were being watched. I decided to go to Eric's funeral since we were the closest. Jessica and I exchanged hollow pleasantries and I was preparing to make a quick exit before I saw Jay. He looked like he hadn't slept in days. I went to speak to him but he tried to rush back to his car when he saw me. I chased him determined to know what was going on. Jay fumbled for his keys to start the car but stopped when he realised he would have to run me over to leave. Jay, talk to me man, what the fuck is going on with you? Jay looked up at me with dark circles hanging around his eyes. He studied me before saying firmly, I need you to stop fucking with me Adam, 
I slammed my hand on top of the roof. What the hell are you talking about? Jay shook his head. I know what you're doing, Adam. I know what you're doing. He screamed so loud that other funeral goers started walking towards us. I know it was you, Adam, Jay said again, his voice quivering. It fucking has to be you. He then shut his car door and sped off. I turned around to leave and saw Jessica behind me. What did he mean by that, Adam? Do you know what happened to Eric? Do you? I bolted back to my car and drove home. A detective called me an hour later to ask some questions about Eric. I offered some empty platitudes and hung up the phone. I didn't know what was going on with Jay, so I tried to reach out to him, but every call went to voicemail. I didn't hear from him for another week. I woke up in the middle of the night to a missed call from him. I tried to answer back, but the line seemed disconnected. It was the night that Jay was murdered. The night Jay died, he left a note confessing his role in covering up Bandy's murder. He spoke about the guilt keeping him awake that he was suffering from PTSD. Jay also felt that someone was watching or tormenting him. Since I was the last of us left, he accused me of being the perpetrator and swore I murdered Mike and Eric. I should have turned myself in. I know I didn't kill my friends. I have solid alibis on the nights that they were killed. I'm not sure why I felt compelled to run and hide, but I did. I fled the state to a cabin owned by my late grandparents. My parents desperately tried to get me to turn myself in, but I felt my fate was already decided. I stayed at that cabin for a day before crossing the border and breaking into vacant house to hide. That's when the nightmares started. They didn't feel like nightmares though, more like intense delusions. I would hear four taps on the door followed by a loud whistle. I instinctively answered the door the first time, but no one was there. I also got an unbearable feeling that I was being watched by something. I would see shadows in the corner of my eyes and faces that I couldn't recognise popping in and out of windows. I fled the house the following day and drove until I nearly fell asleep at the wheel. I canvassed the neighbourhoods until I saw a home with a for sale sign. I ditched my car and broke in through the back door. I made my way to the basement and cut a crawl space into the wall to hide in the case there were visitors. I slept well for the first time in what felt like ages, but the peace and quiet haven't lasted long. I've been here for three days, I've run out of food and my water supply is dangerously low. I have the same delusions again as I am about to doze off. Four light taps on the door and a loud whistle. Only this time the whistle is followed by laughter. At first the laughter reminded me of Bandy, but now it's darker, more guttural, it doesn't even sound human. My mouth is so dry and my stomach is growling. The knocking used to only happen at night time, but now it's repeating itself on a loop. The whistling has almost deafened my ears and I can hear the laughter inside my body. I need to eat soon if I'm going to make it. I look up at the basement door, which now seems so far away. Was the staircase longer than I had remembered? No, I'm having delusions again. I'm sleep deprived and starving. My mind plays tricks on me. Why am I even here? Why don't I just leave? I've done nothing wrong. I can talk my way out of this. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. All I need to do is take the first step. Working graveyard shift at a gas station is pretty calm. Almost nobody comes in. Well, some do, but... I call them the strangers. They are the kinds of people who you fairly sure aren't human. I've gotten into a routine with them. 
never ask questions, only talk to ask if they're buying and to tell them their totals, and never try to look them in the eyes. Those are the rules I live by, easy enough to follow. I've never once broken them, not since the first night I met one of the strangers. That was the first and last night I ever worked with someone else. His name was Mark, I think. He was a decent enough guy, kind of annoying, but eh, I'm not a people person. We stood at our registers and waited for anyone to come in. It was almost 2 a.m. by now. The last person to come in was at midnight and was a guy who needed gas. Then the door opened and the bell chimed. I looked over to see who walked in, and immediately looked toward his feet. He was obviously not human. He was tall, limbs too long, skin a sickly white color that reminded me of a hospital, and his hair was the color of ink and long enough he could have passed as that girl from the ring. I didn't dare move, hell, I barely took a breath. I was about to piss my pants from fear. I still remember Mark grabbing the shotgun our boss made us keep below our registers. I'm gonna shoot that thing, he said. I wanted to stop him, but I couldn't move. He marched up towards the stranger, and I was finally able to move just to cover my ears. I felt the gun go off, only to watch in horror as the stranger turned to Mark, grabbed him by the neck. He lifted him up, unhinged his jaw shoved Mark's head in, and snapped down. I remember that awful crunch, the spray of blood, and how Mark's body dropped to the ground. The stranger walked over to me, with a bottle of water. He then grabbed a candy bar and threw it down with the water. Will that be all? If so, your total is 346... I remember saying after I rang everything up. He threw down the money, grabbed his things, and left. I called the cops, but when they saw the camera footage, they wrote it off as a stranger attack. I didn't realize they were a thing till then, but I knew now. They told me how to stay safe around them, and I listened. That was the last night I worried about the strangers. I was always a bit scared of them after that, but I never was hurt. I just followed my rules. But I did learn one thing. Never get too curious. It could be your doom. But, hey, what would I know? After all, I'm just a guy who works at a gas station. What I'm seeing is real, and I can't think of what to do other than to beg everyone who sees this to contact me and send help. An hour ago, I was sitting in the front porch of my cabin watching the sunset, and out of nowhere, this enormous rumbling filled the air. The type of rumbling that you can feel the vibration in your bones from. Concerned, my first thought was, maybe there's an earthquake. However, the problem with my earthquake hypnosis was that the ground wasn't shaking. It felt like more rhythmic vibration, almost as if there were intervals. Clearly, it had to be something else, I thought. 
Simultaneously, I hear tree branches snapping violently out in the distance behind my cabin. I can see flocks of birds freaking out, desperately attempting to get away from the area. Not only that, I can see a thin layer of smoke or fog among the carnage. Immediately, my mind jumped to this being an active rock slide which meant I needed to act fast and prepare myself in case anything was coming to me. As I scanned the area to see if anything was heading in my direction, my eyes stopped dead back around to where I had seen the first signs of trouble. For a solid minute, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I suppose that doesn't really do it justice. It was more like my brain completely denied the reality of what I was literally staring at. A hellish adaption of a human skeleton towering over the trees. Note that I say skeleton because while it was close to the proper shape of one, it was entirely covered by a black film. I would tell you that the film was the thing's skin, but it undulated and popped in weird spots like an unfathomably extensive collection of maggots, all moving in spastic and discontinuous patterns. Pieces of the black mass seemed to fall off as it moved through the trees and scraped violently against the branches. Its arms hung low to its side, and massive three-fingered hands that fell below its kneecaps made no attempt to move the obstacles in front of it. Its long neck was the most inhuman part of its anatomy. If it was a regular-sized model, I'd assume someone had borrowed it from a horse or a similarly shaped animal. Despite the goofy nature of its neck, I could quickly tell its purpose was to allow the thing a much better range of movement to aid in its search for whatever it was looking for. This was made all the easier by the fact that it emitted two bright beams of light from its eyes that illuminated the woods below it. Silly as it sounds, it was like the thing had built-in searchlights that it used to scan every tiny being under its unrelenting gaze. By some miracle, the skeleton was a good enough distance away from that it either hadn't noticed my presence or didn't even care enough to inspect me. That being said, I was still effectively pinned down. Suppose I wanted to get into my car and drive off. In that case, that would require me going into the cabin, finding my keys, starting my car, and turning on my headlights, and manually opening a decently sized steel gate just down the road. There were enough steps in my head that I could very well alert it to my position. In an emergency, maybe I could plow through the gate. Still, considering the potential damage to my car, it may not even be usable to outrun the giant to the highway. Secondly, if I'm being honest, seeing that monster made me too frightened to move any part of my body away. Some of you may call me a coward, and that's fair. But when the early hominid power of your brain that saved our ancestors from the cave lions and bird bigs enough to snatch children away tells you to stay put, you fucking stay put. Unfortunately, in staying put, I damn near almost lost my hearing when the skeleton opened its mouth and emitted what sounded like a profoundly distorted mule-deer call. It searched around a small area for about ten minutes calling out at different frequencies. All this before, I shit you not, I sneezed. It stopped in the middle of its call, 
waited a couple of seconds, and briefly switched to what sounded like a child on a loud intercom and said, Hello? I felt my heart drop as the twisted puzzle pieces came together, and before I knew it, my hands were glued to my mouth and nose, fearing that the slightest breath would send it over to me in a frenzy. It took a single step in my direction and flashed those demonic eyes over my property. Luckily, the cabin blocked me from the wretched light, but I had clearly piqued its interest and it was easily tall enough that it would be able to see me on the other side if it got close enough. It took another cautious step towards me and, at a lower frequency, repeated its inhuman question. Hello? At that moment, I knew I had to make a decision. Part of me was convinced that there was a good chance that I would die, but that good chance would be a certainty if I didn't act. My only real shot at survival was running into my cabin, finding my keys within a few seconds, and making a mad dash for my car. I'd have to hope that even after smashing through the gate, my car would have just been enough to let it get me into town. It was a poor gamble, and all in all, I'd be giving up the one safety net I had in allowing it to know exactly where I was. Still. Anything had to be better than this thing tiptoeing its way here, seeing me anyway and turning me into a paste in its maggot-filled throat. Fighting every urge to run into the woods and hide under a rock, I summoned the mental energy to prepare for what was coming next. Cursing myself in my mind, I slowly and quietly turned towards the door to begin to race for my life. But just as I had done so, I heard a groan in the distance. And to my surprise, it sounded like that of an actual mule deer. The skeleton must have picked up the noise at that same time. Its long neck immediately snapped in the direction of the sound. Its wretched searchlight eyes began flashing rapidly, and, in the sloppy manner of a starving animal, it began to tear through the trees towards the noise as if the prey it was silently stalking just moments ago never even existed. I took the opportunity to bolt back inside my cabin, grab my keys and hide under my bed with my phone, a rifle, and a pillow to stifle even my most shallow breaths. It's been about an hour since it left, and I haven't heard anything from outside, but I'm too afraid to go back out and check. I'm leaving as soon as the sun rises, but for now, I feel as trapped as I did when I was in the open. I made a quick call to 911 to try to explain to them what had happened and request that they send as many units as possible out to me immediately. But as expected, they essentially thought that I was on drugs and suggested that whatever I saw couldn't hurt me and just to sleep it off. Texts to my friends aren't going through because of this shitty service. Trying not to break down from the situation, I began typing this. At this point, all I can do is write up the story detailing my experience and post it online in hopes that my intent miraculously works and that one of you can contact someone who believes me and send help. Or, in case it kills me, keep a final testament to my last few hours on Earth. Least I can do is let the people that care about me know that I didn't go crazy out here or get eaten by a bear.
If anyone has any idea what I'm dealing with, please give me the information I'm missing. I'm unsure if there are similar stories around Laysen or if this is a first, but I need to know what is out there and if I'm going to survive the night. Here's hoping. Once again, this is not a joke for your entertainment. I'm not trying to scare anyone or be the center of some urban legend. I'm just a really scared guy who's desperate for someone to believe him. And I'm begging everyone that reads this, please help me. This is a real thing that happened to me a while back. I don't think it's a supernatural thing, but it's still weird and off-putting. Some parts have been a little exaggerated, but nothing big. Do you ever get those dreams? You know, the ones where you wake up in the dream? I never gotten them as a kid. I guess I was lucky. My sister suffered from horrid nightmares as a kid. Her bedroom was directly above mine, so I would often awake to her screaming at the top of her lungs. I remember those screams well. They were that of pure fear, and I've never heard anything like them since. She often had dreams in which a man in a hat would speak to her. You never awake until your punishment is through. You will only wake it to false worlds. The man would bellow in a tone almost lower than hell itself. True to his words, she never woke up until every member of the family was violently murdered. Our throats would be ripped out. We would be drowned. And on one particularly bad night, he made her take a knife and bled us. As I said, I had never had much in the way of dreams or nightmares. But as my sister started to shake loose those horrid dreams, I started to have more and more. They were nothing like those of my sister experienced, but I did start to have dreams. It was years later, and I was now a teenager. I was around 13 to 14 years old now, and I had still never had dreams like my sister. I had moved houses into a new town, and that was much smaller than the large city I had previously lived in. It was the summertime, and I had organized a sleepover at my friend's place. I'll be calling him Jake to hide his identity. I had moved houses into a new town, one that was much smaller than the large city I had previously lived in. It was the summertime, and I had organized a sleepover at my friend's place. I'll be calling him Jake to hide his identity. Jake moved around a lot. When I knew him, he went through three houses in one year. He never moved far away. He always stayed in the same area, but in a different house. The current house of his was a large middle-class house with a guest bedroom and two stories. Jake was a very spoiled kid looking back at it. He would often yell at his mom, and when he did, he would often yell at his mom when he didn't get his way. He had a large gaming setup in his bedroom that consisted of multiple monitors and a very expensive PC that... I am certain that his parents bought for him. I no longer talked to him, but the brief glimpses I saw of him reminded me of 2016 humor being endlessly slammed into your head. I had not thought much of those aspects at the time though, so I still befriended him. We spent weeks planning the sleepover. When it finally came, the day was smoldering hot, 
Going outside was akin to having your skin melted off the bone, revealing only muscle and veins. Due to this heat, we had spent the day indoors. We decided to play video games and do other miscellaneous activities. By the end of the day, I was exhausted. The mix of heat and dealing with the cringe being emitted from Jake's body left me completely drained. They had decided to let me use the guest bedroom. The bed was soft and I had fallen asleep almost instantaneously. The next morning, I had to wake up semi-early to go to a doctor's appointment so I had set an alarm on my phone. Just to make sure that I woke up to it though. I had also made sure to put it directly next to my head at full volume. I had done the same thing before and it woke me up every single time without fail. As I drifted asleep, I had thought of the dreams that my sister had. I have no clue why it came to mind, but it did. I eventually drifted off for a while, everything was fine, but then I woke up. My alarm went off and I got up and packed my things. I walked out to the living room area of the second floor. Jake's mom was cooking eggs. Good morning. Want some eggs? Nah, I'm heading out soon. Thanks, though. Okay. Could you see if Jake is a... A man in a large black hat had instantly appeared behind her and ripped her throat out. He glared at me as I screamed, and suddenly I felt air through my chest. I looked down to see a gaping hole where my chest once was. I screamed and screamed in the most agonizing pain I had ever felt, but then I woke up. I was back in the guest bedroom as my alarm blared, and I sighed a sigh of relief. I thought my dream was strange, but quickly got up and packed up and moved on. I entered the living room to see that I was the only one awake. I got a text from my mother after a little bit and headed out to the car. I opened the door and was greeted by the man staring daggers into my soul. I saw my mother's head in his hands as he reached for my throat. He choked me to death and I felt my life drift off. But then, I woke up. I woke up in the guest bedroom again, but it was now blackened and decrepit, blood stained to the floors. I looked up to once again see the man in the hat. This is your punishment. You will not awake unless someone wakes you. Your alarm will never work. I pointlessly screamed, but was quickly silenced by a sharp object entering my head. The pain was awful, and I felt the warm grasp of death. But then I woke up. I left the room immediately and rushed out the front door. I ran and ran and sooned myself in an old and run-down library. I entered the building and ran to the front desk, and no one was there. It was just me, scampering around the building like a frightened rat. I sat at a bench and soon saw the man entering through the door. Suddenly, the room started filling with water. I gasped for air, but only lasted two minutes before I felt death creep in. But then I was awoken. It was Jake's mom. She'd woken me up as my mom had pulled into the driveway. Are you okay? You look pale. I looked around, but the man was nowhere in sight. <sighs> I'm fine, thanks. Just had a rough night. 
I left the houses with my things, and as I got into the car, I checked my alarm. It had gone off, right next to my head, at full volume, three times, five minutes apart. There's no way that I wouldn't have woken up normally. Sometimes I really wonder if I'm really awake. I wonder if the man is still out there. I went home and nothing strange has happened since, but then I woke up. For some context, I'm 17, just finishing up high school. I'm not very popular and have a very small friend group of outcasts. Everyone in it is pretty geeky and nerdy, but they're nice, so who cares? We have get-togethers and where we meet up at the graveyard, which I know sounds pretty weird, but it's quite chill and calming. Nobody is usually there, but every once in a while there'll be a family or somebody grieving the loss of a loved one. This all started last Monday when I went to the graveyard to chill by myself and listen to music. I grabbed my headphones and headed out. I wasn't paying attention on my way there, but as I got to my crossing point, I realised how quiet it was. There was nobody outside it seemed, no cars on the road, not the sound of birds in the trees, not even the sound of kids playing in the neighbourhood playground. I also noticed how foggy it was. Dense fog surrounded everything, but I couldn't see a hundred feet in front of me. I brushed it off just as being bad weather causing the seemingly lifeless mood. When I got to the graveyard, I was expecting to see somebody there morning, but again, not one person was there. There was a few benches around, so I went to my usual spot and took a seat, which happened to be by the entrance. Turned some music on and started doodling in my journal. After an hour, I figured it was time to go home. I packed my things up and got ready. I got up and looked around, and just out of my view was a figure. I couldn't make it out with all the fog, so I crept up towards it. I thought I was being a weirdo sneaking up on some random person, but as I got there, I noticed her features. She looked like a normal woman, I couldn't tell her height from the fog, but she had black hair. Her skin looked pale, almost a very light whitish grey colour. She had a white dress down to her knees and was wearing a white hat that women wore in the past. She was just standing there, not looking at anything, not facing a grave, just standing facing one of the walls. I looked to the entrance, she couldn't have gotten in without me noticing. I looked back and she disappeared. It creeped me out, so I just left. I got home and continued my normal routine. I went to bed around 11pm, and I woke up to the sound of tapping on my window. It was still dark out, so I couldn't see much. I was a bit anxious, but thought it was just bugs hitting the window. I wanted to check, so I grabbed my phone and turned the flashlight on. I looked at the window, and nothing. The tapping stopped, and I didn't see anything at the window. The next morning, I thought that the woman probably just walked into the graveyard without me realising, but I still couldn't figure out how she got out. Despite what happened yesterday, I went back to chill again. Today was a lot sunnier and the weather was quite nice. I got there and as I walked in, I saw her. This time 40 feet from the entrance, just staring as if she was waiting for me. All I could do was stare back. I was paralysed with fear. Her skin was extremely wrinkled and looked rotten. The smell coming from her was putrid. Her face was rotten as well. She stared at me with wide uncanny grin, and her nose was pointy and long. I noticed how tall she was. 
she towered over me and had to be at least seven and a half feet tall. She stared at me with the most piercing and malicious stare I've ever seen. Quickly, I turned and ran home, locking the door behind me out of fear she followed. My mum was at work, so I couldn't tell her what happened. I went up to my bedroom and scrolled through Reddit to get my mind off what had happened. I heard what sounded like footsteps in the pebbles that covered the garden. I looked out and saw the woman in the garden near my window. I quickly ducked down and ran to my closet. Luckily, I locked the front door. I quickly started dialing 911, but didn't get an answer from a dispatcher. But as that thought of locking the front door came back into my mind, I realised I didn't lock the back. My heart sunk as tears flowed down my face. I'm writing this in the closet and hear the footsteps coming closer and closer to my room. Thank you all for listening. If you've enjoyed, then please be sure to let me know down in the comments. And with that said, I hope to catch you all in the next one. Thank you.